Heavenly Father, we thank you and praise you and worship you, Lord, that you are indeed our Lord, our Savior, our God, and our King. And Lord, I'm just so blessed by your, your grace. It's beyond description. And Lord, as we look at the preeminence of Jesus Christ in this chapter this morning, may we just continue to carry on what we just heard in those few minutes. Again, just the, the matchless wonder of who you are. And Lord, I pray we wouldn't just know about who you are in theory or in our minds, but Lord, may it transform our every step, our every word, our every movement, Lord, I pray. And Father, we love you, we praise you, we worship you, we're desperate for you. May you be our teacher this morning. In Jesus' name we pray and all God's people said, Amen. Amen. All right, God bless you guys. Welcome again to Calvary Chapel. If you don't have a Bible, you will need one. Amen? Read the book, what? Don't wait for the movie, right? You got to get your Bible out, all right? You got to read that thing, all right? Amen? All right, turn to Colossians chapter 1, continuing our verse-by-verse study through the New Testament. Uh, if anybody's getting tired of that, all right, praise the Lord, me either, all right? I listen to it almost every morning, but I, looking at the preeminence of Christ this morning, I thought, boy, we need to look at that again. It's a great way to be reminded of the greatness of our God. Well, to catch you up really quick, we're going to pick up in verse 13 where we left off. But Colossians, if you'll remember, was written to combat a heresy that was growing within the church. Each of these epistles are simply letters written by the Apostle Paul to churches during the first century addressing different issues. Colossians was a city that he had actually never been to before. Most of the cities he had planted churches. Here he had not. A church had come probably out of Ephesus where he was pastoring for three years and probably there was a church plant that came out of there. But in Colossae, what was happening, there was a heresy that had grown within the, or false teaching is an easier way to understand it, of paganism and Gnosticism and Judaism and mysticism. We talked last week how, man, that sounds like Santa Cruz. That they taught, you know, Jesus plus this. Jesus plus hugging a tree, right? You know, Jesus plus, you got to add something else. And it's always something that takes away from the truth of Scripture. Gnosticism believed that salvation came through some exclusive knowledge. One of the asceticism believed that they needed to beat the evil out of their bodies. Another heresy taught that they had to add the religious rites of Judaism to Christianity to be saved. And you know what? This is not many years into Christianity being birthed. This church is only six years old and all this stuff is going sideways already. Guys, that's why we must never get away from the Word of God. Because if we do, we will believe any heresy that comes down the pipe. You know what happens? We get caught up in our emotions and our feelings and we trust them instead of trusting the Word of God. And so Paul is writing this letter and its main focus is emphasizing the preeminence of Jesus Christ. He's letting them know it's Jesus plus nothing equals salvation. And when we add to the cross of Christ, we are denying the power of the cross itself. There truly is nothing new under the sun. Today, if you try to mix all things spiritual, as we talked about last week, you're being politically correct. And you're also being heretical, and it's blasphemous. Is that pretty strong or what? Here's the truth. We cannot add to the cross of Christ. And I know I'm putting a lot of emphasis on this, but it's so sad because so many churches today are getting away from the simple truth of the gospel. You know what? The same gospel that Jesus preached is good enough for us today. Amen? 
We don't need to change it, water it down, try to get rid of some of the terminology to be seeker-sensitive. Instead, we need to be Christ-focused and reaching out to people in love and being more concerned about seeing people saved than being popular before men. So how does Paul refute these these heresies? As we began last week, this, I believe, is the most Christ-centered epistle in the entire Bible. As we talked about in Philippians, a book we just finished, the word joy is in there 19 times. Well, the word Christ is in this short letter 26 times, and the word Lord is in there seven times. So 33 times it points to our Savior in this very short letter. As we talked about last week, the first half discusses the doctrine or the supremacy of Christ, and then we get to the second half, we'll see how to apply it to our lives. So this morning, if you're a note taker, title of the message is, The Preeminence of Christ. And in this text this morning, we're going to see all of these things in these short verses. That's why this is such a powerful chapter. We're going to see that He alone is God. We're going to see that He's divinely unique. We're going to see that He's the source of redemption and forgiveness. We're going to see that He delivered us from the power of darkness. We're going to see that He is the Creator, and He's the one for whom all things were created. We're going to see that He is the head of the body. We're going to see that He is the image of the invisible God. We're going to see that He holds all things together. We're going to see that He is the beginning. We're going to see that He is the firstborn from among the dead. We're going to see that in Him all fullness dwells. We're going to see that through Him all things have been reconciled between man and God. We're going to see that in Him are all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. We're going to see that in Him all the fullness of Godhead dwells. And we're going to see and be encouraged that Christ in you is the hope of glory. All of that in 16 verses. You've got to love the Bible. It just flat out rocks. Amen? Amen. And so let's begin looking, and I'll just go back a few verses just to give you a picture of where we are looking at the preeminence of Christ. The last few verses last week at verse 9, Paul was praying without ceasing for the believers. And he prayed that they would be filled with knowledge and all wisdom and spiritual understanding. I encouraged you last week, make that the top of your prayer list. It's okay to pray for health. It's okay to pray for physical things. But you know what? It ought to be secondary to praying for spiritual understanding and wisdom. But notice what it should produce. And this is going to be a key point when we get to the rest of the text as well. And I pray, I've been praying for you guys all week that God would grab a hold of us through this text. Verse 10 says that you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing Him. God doesn't want us to have knowledge of Him just so we know. Just so we're book smart. Just so we're even scripture smart. Just so we've got a lot of knowledge up in our head. Guys, it's meaningless if it doesn't transform our hearts. Guys, we can have all the knowledge we want. We can be biblical scholars. And you know what? We can be spiritually dead. And God's desire is that we would take what we know and it would impact the way that we live. Guys, God is grieved that we would talk and walk one way on Sunday and live a different way the rest of the week. It should not be so amongst Christians, amen? We should be the same person, if anything, more on fire for God outside of here because we're being salt and light to a lost and a dying world. That you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing Him, being fruitful in every good work as we increase in knowledge and we're strengthened by His power. Then he says there in verse 12, strengthen with all my, 11, according to His precious power for all patience and long-suffering, with joy. Guys, it's not easy to have joy in the midst of long suffering. And that's a sign of spiritual maturity. 
That's a sign of somebody who's been praying about verse 9, being filled with knowledge and all wisdom and spiritual understanding because when trials come, they don't matter because God's in control. When the trials come, we realize that God is faithful and it's all part of His plan. And then you'll notice in verse 12, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in the light. Guys, there's such a blessing in knowing that we have an eternal inheritance, an eternal promise. And my prayer for us again, for each of us this morning, that we would come to an even deeper and greater understanding of the unparalleled greatness and unmatched power of our divinely unique Savior. Don't you want to know Him better? And you know what? No matter how great you think He is, He's greater than that. No matter how awesome you think heaven's going to be, it's going to be more awesome than that. No matter how much you might think God wants to do with your life, He wants to do more than that. I'm a little fired up, I know. But you know what? I want to encourage you. Man, may God just light a fire in us. Amen? As the time is short, come quickly, Lord Jesus, and may we be busy about your work. But how we live every aspect of life is key. Not just the knowledge of Him, but having it transform who we are. And it's so key, you guys, that we get past being like the world and looking at the world for our source of hope and joy and peace because you won't find it there. He is indescribable, isn't He? He really is. And you know what? We're going to try to add a little bit to what was spoken this morning and look at some more things again about our Savior, the preeminent one. Preeminent simply means that He is above all things. He's above all things. He's above everybody whether they believe in Him or not. He is God whether you believe it or not. He's in control whether you trust Him or not. He is faithful whether you're faithful or not. Aren't you glad? Aren't you glad that it depends on Him and not on us? So, if you're taking notes, three things we're going to look, four things actually we're going to look at. We're going to see His preeminence in our redemption. Without Him, redemption would be impossible. We're going to see His preeminence over creation. That He created all things and all things were created for Him. We're going to see His preeminence in our reconciliation. Restoring sinful man back to holy God. And then lastly, we're going to see how we should respond in light of the preeminence of our Savior. Okay? So let's begin looking at verse 13. The preeminence of Christ looking at first in our redemption. Verse 13. He has delivered us from the power of darkness. Guys, may we never let that just go by without talking about it. Guys, we were dead in our trespasses and sins. We were headed to hell. We were spiritually blind. We were completely lost. And then Jesus came and transformed us and made us new creations in Him and gave us the promise of heaven. May we never take that lightly. Amen? How good is that? I once was blind, but now I see. I once was lost, but now I'm found. He's the one who has delivered us from the power of darkness. You know what? There's one who wants to keep men in darkness today. Satan, the father of lies. And he's the one who is a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Once an angel of life, a light, excuse me, but now darkness himself. And you know what? Guess what? He's got unchangeable reservations for eternity in the lake of fire and he knows it. He's going. But you know what? He wants to take as many people with him as possible. And every believer this side of, whoa, every believer this side 
of heaven should be burdened for every unbeliever this side of hell. Should be our passion, our focus. Our prayer life daily should be consumed with it. And Satan, I tell you what, it's Satan's passion 24 hours a day. It ought to be ours. Amen? Now we still have jobs to do and things to do and we need to be living our lives for the Lord, but we need to know that everywhere we are is a divine appointment put there by God. Satan's attempt to become the preeminent one didn't work out too well, did it? He wanted to be on the throne. Guys, only one person could be on the throne in heaven and only one person could be on the throne in your life. Choose one. It's you or it's, or it's the Lord. Who's on the throne? Man cannot deliver himself from the power of darkness no matter how many good works he does, no matter how much human effort he has, no matter how many things he tries to do to deliver himself, we cannot do it apart from Christ. He has delivered us. And I like the fact that it says has. Not he will or he might or he could. Or we hope that he will. I get on you sometimes. I'll ask some of you guys, you going to heaven? I hope so. You better know so, amen? We don't hope, we know. Why? Because it's not a hope so Christianity. We only have to hope so if we think we've got something to do with it. But he did it. He paid it. It's finished. We're going, amen? And I'll tell you what, may we not take that lightly or take it for granted. He paid the price for us. He's delivered us out of darkness. And conveyed us, verse 13, second half, and conveyed us into the kingdom of the Son of His love. The word conveyed in the ancient world, when one nation would destroy or take over another, conquer them, the custom was they would take that entire population into their land. And what He's telling us, He's conveyed us out of the darkness and brought us into the light. He's taken us out of being dead and and set apart from Him and outside of His will, and He's brought us into His perfect light. What a great and awesome God we serve. Praise the Lord. Now look what it says, in whom we have redemption. One of my favorite words in the Bible, because it speaks of the purchasing or the paying of a ransom. And it's a ransom that you and I could not pay for ourselves. We don't have it. But aren't you glad that the King of kings and the Lord of lords, out of His love for you, would rather die than live without you, and He redeemed you. He purchased you back. But I want you to know something. Salvation is a free gift, but it was not cheap. It did not come cheaply, because it says we have redemption through what? His blood. What can wash away my sins? Nothing but? The blood of Jesus. Nothing else can pay the price for our sins. Guys, nobody else could die for you and nobody else would die for you. Isn't that true? And even if they were willing, it wouldn't help because they're sinners in need of a Savior just like you are. You know, Buddha didn't even pretend to die on a cross. But even if he had, no value. Why? Sinner. Muhammad didn't pretend to die on a cross. Joseph Smith, Mary Baker Eddy, Charles Taze Russell, all the cult leaders, none of them ever died on a cross. And even if they did, it would be of no value because they are sinners in need of a Savior. But Jesus came, perfect, holy, sinless God, took the sin of all mankind upon Himself, hung on a cross and paid the price. And in the end, He said to Talistai, which means it is finished. And in those days when you had a debt, when they marked your debt paid in full, the word was to Talistai. And I like that. 
We've been redeemed through His blood. And look what part of redemption is. We've been forgiven. Forgiveness. It speaks of the remission of the penalty. The penalty has been carried away. Aren't you glad we don't get what we deserve? You know, it cracks me up when people say that. Well, I don't deserve that. Really? Would you like what you do deserve? Well, not so much. And you know what? I love God's math. One cross plus three nails equals four given. Amen? Amen? And it's so true. We've been forgiven by the cross of Christ. Amen? And I'm so blessed, and we should never take it for granted. Thank you, Jesus. Amen? You know, to wake up in the morning, all that'll be the first words out of our mouth. And it should transform everything that we do and who we are because Almighty God loved you enough to send His Son to suffer and die that you might have eternal life. The preeminence of Christ. He is above all things. His role is both essential and non-negotiable. And He alone is the one that could pay the price for our sins. And He did it. Praise God. Amen? So, not only do we see that His preeminence in our redemption, redeeming sinful man, removing us from the darkness, bringing us back to perfect holy God, restoring sinful man back to perfect holy God. But look also that he is preeminent or above all things when it comes to creation. By the way, if you're here today and you believe that lightning hit a puddle and it went from the, you know, the goo to the zoo to you, that's not what happened. Amen? That is not what happened. God created man in his own image. Amen? And it's not, it was not some random chance. You've got to have a lot more faith to believe that your great-great-grandmother was a gorilla than to believe that Almighty God created you in His image. Amen? God is over creation. He is the Creator. And you know what? He makes the rules. Amen? And you know what? He not only is the Creator, but all things were created for Him. Let's take a look at verse 15. He is the image of the invisible God. Now, people often wonder what God is like. When I was a youth pastor in Southern California, we used to get a video camera and we used to go down to the mall. We would, you know, because that's where teenagers hang out, or go down to the movie theater. And the teenagers would just be lined up. And we'd go up to them with a video camera and a, and a microphone, and we'd, right before we'd say, hey, we're, gonna, we're shooting a video, do you want to be on it? What do you think teenagers are going to say? <laughs> oh, yeah, you know, fighting with each other. And we'd say, okay, we want to get your live reaction, so here we go. Do you believe there's a God? You know, what do you think is going to happen to you when you die? And it's amazing that everybody has some kind of concept of God. You know, some people believe, oh, God is in all things. You know, He's in the trees. He's just everywhere. We're, we're God. You know, Shirley MacLaine says she's God. She's wrong. There's two undeniable facts. There is a God and you're not Him. Amen? So here's the point. The point is that if you want to see God, look at Jesus. It says right there in that verse that He is the image of the invisible God. Jesus is the... The word image there, interestingly enough, is icon. And He is the exact likeness and the perfect representation of God because He is God. In 1 Timothy it says, Now to the King, eternal, immortal, invisible, to God alone who is wise, be honor and glory forever Amen. Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. In John 10, 30, Jesus said, I and my Father are one. One and the same. Jesus is not 
less than the Father. He freely submits to the Father, but He is equal to the Father. Okay? He's fully God, as we're going to see as we continue on. You want to see the Father, look at Jesus. You cannot say that of anyone else. Amen? You can't see the Father by looking at Buddha. You can see a fat guy who needs to stop eating or something, right? You cannot see God in any other man. Only in Jesus Christ. Amen? He alone is the answer. Now look what it says. And this is something that, that the cultists will use. I want to clear it up for you this morning. The firstborn over all creation. See, that proves it. Jesus is a created being, according to the cultist. Right? The word there, firstborn, is prototokos. It speaks of preeminence in priority, not order of birth. It's interesting this word is used throughout Scripture. It's used about Jacob and Ephraim. Were either one of them the firstborn in their family? What's the answer? The answer is no. But they were called firstborn, prototokos, because they were first in priority. Jesus Christ is not a created being. Jesus Christ is God. He always has been and He always will be. Amen? Doesn't it give you a headache to think about, where was God 500 billion? He was there. Where was He before that? He was there. What about when He was there? He's always been there. Think about this. You want a real headache? He created time. So there was no time. So you couldn't even give years because there was no time because He created it. You know what else? He created space. So there was no space. So where was He then? I don't know. He's God, I'm not. Amen? And we try to, with our finite minds, understand infinite God. He's way greater than anything you can figure out, and I'm glad. He's just, man, I'm telling you, heaven's going to blow our minds. When we see Him face to face, it's going to be on what we can grasp or imagine, and it ought to impact the way we're living now. Amen? You know what? Here's the proof that Jesus Christ is not a created being. Genesis 1, God said, let us make man in our image. Our image. He is the firstborn priority in preeminence. He is the creator, not the created. All other false gods in this world are created. He is the creator. In John 1, 1, it says, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. And verse 14 says, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. So who was in the beginning? Jesus Christ. He always has been. He always will be. He was in the beginning. Jesus is God in the flesh. He's the firstborn over creation. He's preeminent in priority. He is the firstborn over creation. Again, not that he was born but that He has priority over creation. Verse 16, For by Him all things were created that are in heaven and that are on the earth. It's interesting that how could He have created the things in heaven and on the earth if He wasn't born until 2,000 years ago? He couldn't. You know why? Because He is God and He always has been. You know, we, we, if you come on Wednesday nights, we see Jesus in almost every chapter of the Old Testament. He's there. He's there. I want to encourage you to read the Old Testament. You'll see Him. But look what it says there. By Him all things were created. If you look up the word all in the original language, it's all. And all is a lot of things. It's everything. Amen? 
So he created all things. Jesus created in heaven and in earth, visible and invisible. All the angels created by Jesus. The whole universe created by Jesus. The Milky Way created by Jesus. The atoms that we cannot see without a microscope created by Jesus. He created all things. He placed the stars in the sky and he did it all with a simple spoken word. The Colossian heresy seemed to elevate angels. And he's making it very clear to them, he created the angels. Jesus Christ created them. Guys, we don't worship angels. I even see books sometimes in Christian bookstores. Kind of get me a little twisted. What are we doing? Why, why are we, okay, it's okay to know about angels, but we don't worship angels. No, we worship Jesus, amen? We don't worship apostles. We don't worship saints. We don't pray to dead people. We pray to a risen and living Savior. Amen? May we not make the mistake of, again, allowing the culture to take us away from the simple truth of the Word of God. It says there, All things were created that are in heaven, that are on the earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. Those are levels of angels. And He created the entire angelic host. That means He created Lucifer. Right? He sure did. And Lucifer rebelled against him. Not unlike mankind today. He created us, and sadly, much of mankind is rebelling against him. Now look at this part. I want you to see this last portion there. All things were created through him and for him. Why are the stars in the sky? For him. Why are the flowers the colors they are? For him. Why is everything the way that it is? For Him. Every atom, every grain of sand is according to His good pleasure. You and I were created by Him and for His good pleasure. Guys, you want to do what you were created to do? Start worshiping. Amen? That's why He created you. He created you to have intimate fellowship with Him. False gods are created by man for man's good pleasure, and you are created by God for God's good pleasure. That's why people love idols. Because they're dead. And I'm in charge, right? I'm going to make an idol of uh, drinking and gambling. And then I'm going to follow him. You know what I mean? I mean, it's all about me. These false idols, these false gods of the world are all about elevating my will instead of his. Everything was created for Him. I love that. That means the trees were created for Him. Right? Animals, for Him. Now the good news is, He says to us that He has given us all things in Him. So it's okay if we have a barbecue, you guys. Aren't you glad? We'll get in trouble when this goes on the radio, but God bless them anyway. Acts 10, rise, kill, and eat. I'm going with that. All right? Verse 17. Now look at this. And He is before all things, and in Him all things consist. What does that mean? That means He was before anything existed because He's always existed. Is this pretty clear? We struggling with this at all? He always has been, and everything consists. Now I love this part. It says not only that He's always been, He's before all things, but in Him all things consist. That word there in the original language means He holds all things together. If God lets go for one nanosecond, it's over. 
Now, I am the furthest thing in the world from a scientific guy. I'm just not, it's not me, all right? But, you know, negatives and positives, you know, dispel each other. You know, they, there's attraction and, they, and two positives together push away from each other and negative positive draw each other together. But what's interesting that in the, in the atom, in the center, there are things that should be repelling each other, but they don't. And scientists can't figure out why. You know why? God said. Because he holds all things in his hands. Amen? But how come it happens everywhere else but there? Because God said so. He makes the rules. How about that? Amen? And so the truth is that God is the one who holds it. People say that to me. Well, well, don't you think some things just happen by random chance of events? That would mean that God's not in control. Right? People say, well, the hurricane was a natural random. No, it wasn't. No, it wasn't. It happened according to God's divine will. Period. People struggle with that. Well, why would God allow... You know what? God is so gracious, how dare we ever question anything? But you know what? Let me say this. The fact that we would question it is because we're not grasping where we are with God right now. How are we doing with the Lord? If He, was, if he wasn't as incredibly gracious as He is, we'd all be piles of rocks right about now. Isn't that true? But instead, he shows grace, he shows grace, he shows grace. And you know what? When these things happen, it's, again, an opportunity for man to turn his eyes back to the Lord. Think about how much power is in a single atom. Imagine the power of the universe. He holds all of it in his hand. That's my God. That's my king. Amen? I wish I could describe him to you, right? Verse 18. (laughs) And he is the head of the body. You know what that means? Jesus Christ is the head of the church. No man. No pope. No president of the denomination. Jesus Christ, head of the church, period. Amen? He alone is the one that should be reverenced. One of the few things that it does, I, I, you know, I don't tend to correct people if I know they're hard. And, but when someone calls me reverend, ah, who do we reverence? Him. I'm not reverend. Sinner is a better one, right? I'm not reverend. We reverence him. We honor him. We praise him. He is the head of the church. To him alone be all the glory and the honor and the praise. It says in Ephesians, and he has put all things under his feet and given him to be the head over all things to the church. He is our good shepherd. He is the one that watches over us. May we not strive for authority in the church because we already have the authority that's perfect, Jesus Christ. He's the head. He's the one we follow. It also says there, who is the beginning. I like that. He's the beginning. What does that mean? He's the beginning. He started it all. Well, what are we, again, headache. Because He's such a great and an awesome God and He's so much greater than we could possibly grasp. He is the beginning. He is the firstborn from the dead. Now, some people say, well, wait a minute. Didn't other people raise from the dead? Didn't Lazarus raise from the dead? Weren't there other people risen from the dead? Yes. Guess what? They all died again. Isn't that true? They died. 
But there's one who rose from the dead who triumphed over sin and death, who was the firstborn from the dead, who proved himself to have triumphed over sin and death, which no other man ever could, no other man ever did. And it's Jesus Christ. He alone has triumphed over sin and death. That in all things he may have preeminence. Jesus is to be first in everything in your life. Guys, Jesus should not just be first in parts of your life. Jesus Christ needs to be our life. Amen? I know that's radical for some people. Man, I just thought I was coming to church on Sunday because that's, you know, when I'm supposed to do that. Guys, no, we're supposed to be sold out for Him. Can I tell you something? If you met the most beautiful woman or the most handsome man in the world and you would just fall head over heels in love with them and it was just the most incredible thing that ever happened to you, would you want to be married to him for an hour a week? That'd be stupid. You know what? God's greater than anything. Why would we want to hang out with Him for an hour a week when we can be with Him 24 hours a day? Amen? The Bible calls us His bride. He's our groom. Let's be married to Him 24-7. And He is to have preeminence in our lives. You know what, guys? It's hard when He wants preeminence over the things that we like more than Him. Some of you guys, you like your career more than the Lord. Oh, no, I don't. Yes, you do, because you don't have time to do anything for God because that's all you're ever doing. Now, should we do our jobs in the Lord? You bet. Should we be the best workers in the building? Absolutely. Should our boss want 20 more people just like us? Absolutely. But our career does not come before God. If it does, false idol. Some of us love, this is going to be a hard one, your children more than God. We're to love our children. I love my kids. I die for my kids. They know it. I would. No question. I tell you what, if I'm ever going to get in trouble for losing it, it's going to be someone harming one of my kids. I know that already. It's not, so I just pray, Lord, don't let anybody harm them because I'm in trouble. Please. Because <laughs> I'm going to thrash somebody, right? But the point is that we're not to love our wives, our children, our careers, or anything else more than God. But the best thing I can do for my wife is love God more than anything else because then I'm going to be a godly husband. And I'm going to love and serve and honor my wife. And if I want to be the best dad possible, I need to love God first because then I'll minister to my children and be the spiritual leader in my home. If I want to be the best employee possible, I need to love God first because then I'm going to take Him to work with me and I'm going to do my job in a way that would honor God. Guys, there's other things we put before God. Drugs. Alcohol pornography, whatever else. Guys, well, I'm, I'm serving God, but I'm hanging on to this. It grieves the heart of God. He's not preeminent in your life. Be not drunk with wine, be filled with the Holy Spirit. Amen? Now, I know that, ouch, right? But here's the point. The point is, guys, you're missing out. Letting go of anything else that is taking your eyes off of God will not harm you. It will only bless you. And Satan's one going, you can't let go of that, it's just too good, right? Don't let go of that. you got to hang on to that, hang on to Agag, bring the king of the flesh back with you. Got to do that. The Lord says, no, put it to death completely, fall in love with me. Guys, do you believe everything that he said about our Savior? Then why in the world would we want him to be third? Or fifth? Or twelfth on the list? Why would we want to give Him an hour a week? Let's just give Him our lives. And you know what? God will bless everything else, including our work and everything else that we do. 
So, he's firstborn in our redemption. He's firstborn over creation. He's firstborn in our reconciliation. Verse 19. For it pleased the Father that in him all the fullness should dwell. Now, I love this. Guess what? Jesus is fully God. And there's a thing that's taught often that I've had people, even other pastors, debate me about. They'll say that when Jesus came to earth, he released some of his godhood. No, he didn't. No, he didn't. He was fully man and fully God. He never let go of being God. He always was God. Now we'll say, well, but he was submitted to the Father. Yes, he was. He was God submitted to the Father. How much more should you and I submit to the Father? We're not God. Amen? How much more should you and I be submitted? Jesus is to have preeminence not only in the universe and in creation but also as i said in our lives and as we see here moving on that he is the one who reconciles us he's the one that brought us back together to the father and he the father is the one that said in him should all the fullness dwell you know what i love the fact that jesus christ is not pseudo god he's god period Guys, one of the first things cults do, here's the point, guys, apologetics 101 class for one minute. Every cult does this, make God less, man more. All of them. God less, man more. When they start talking about being God one day, cult. When they start saying, well, Jesus didn't really know, that cracks me up. Jesus didn't really know. I had, I've had people tell me that. Well, Jesus didn't, I know, we know more today than Jesus knew. Are you out of your mind? See, that's what happens when you start saying Jesus isn't fully God when he was on the... Well, he didn't really know because he was still learning and growing. And He's God. You're out of, he created all things. And when we start to make Jesus less than he is, we're on our way to being a cult. We can't do that, guys. You'll get me fired up if you tell me that. So here's the point. He is God 100%. In verse 20, and by him... To reconcile all things to himself by him, whether things on the earth or things in heaven, having made peace through the blood of the cross. How are we reconciled? Reconciling sinful man back to holy God. The word to reconcile means to completely restore. He made peace between sinful man and holy God and was only possible by taking all of our sin upon himself and taking our place. Jesus took on humanity. He lived perfectly. He suffered. He bled. He died. He paid the price for our sin and He made restoration possible. Man, how awesome is our Lord? Guys, I mean, does this fire you up or what? This is my best friend, by the way. You know, I have a hard time going to movies where they curse my Savior. I just can't do it. I just can't do it. I can't take God's money and go listen to Him curse my God. I can't do it. And I've had people say to me, well, it just doesn't bother me that much. I said, would you go to a movie where they cursed your earthly father ten times? Just mocked your earthly dad, made fun of him. No, I wouldn't go to that movie. I'd be out front picketing. Oh, okay, how about your heavenly father? Amen? The point is, and again, I'm not driving legalism. The point is I'm saying he's our best friend. He's our Lord, our Savior, our God, and our King. And when somebody curses him, it hurts me. It ought to hurt us all. Because... He's the one that we should be loving more than anybody else. By the way, notice there it says, through the blood of the cross, people today are trying to have a bloodless gospel. You can't do that. You can't do that. Come to Jesus and just 
He'll give you everything you want. Just have a positive thought. I heard a guy on TV say that the cross reminded him of a big plus symbol. <laughs> Takes a lot to get your pastor speechless, but that's where I was at. I was like... It's a big plus symbol. Just focus on it and be positive. You'll be positively going to hell if you do that. (laughs) There can be no salvation without the shedding of blood. In the Old Testament, the shedding of blood, the shedding of blood, it was a bloody mess when they went into the tabernacle, when they went into the temple. But praise God, there's no bloody mess anymore because it's finished. But may we never take the blood out of the gospel. That's a mistake. Verse 21. And you who were once alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now He has reconciled. You were once alienated from God. The word alienated means to be estranged or shut up from one's fellowship. Impossible to draw near to somebody. Impossible to have intimacy of any kind. Our sin had separated us from God. And All of us are sinners, so we were all separated. The ancient Greek word there translated alienated means transferred to another owner. Somebody else owned you. Somebody else possessed you. Somebody else had control over your life. But Jesus came along and we're alienated no more. Verse 22. In the body of His flesh through death, So how did He reconcile us? In the body of His flesh through death. He reconciled, reconciliation is only possible through the blood of the cross. It's only possible for Him taking away sin and death by paying the price for sin and death. And the Lord now presents us to the Father. Look what it says. To present you holy and blameless and above reproach in His sight. Now, An illustration that some of you have heard me say before that just strikes home with me when I think about this. Many years ago, I was in Southern California and I was still in sales and I was at a big hotel in the Wilshire District getting ready to meet a customer. And as I was sitting in the lobby, there was a big stir and in came all these like uh, secret service guys. And, And then in behind them came Jesse Jackson who at the time was running for president. Now, every time I use this illustration, people think I'm promoting Jesse Jackson. Let me make it really clear. That's not what I'm doing. All right? At all. Okay? Is that clear enough? All right. Now, he comes through. Now, what's interesting was, prior to Jesse Jackson coming in, while I was sitting in the lobby, this guy had come in off the street, and this is a pretty fancy hotel, and he was wearing really tattered, tore-up clothes. And he came in, and he tried to go into the restaurant, and they brought security out and said, Sir... You can't come in here. And he kept coming back the third time. They literally picked him up and threw him out into the street. They picked him up and threw him into the street. And said, if you come, and these guys were threatening him, if you come back in here one more time. Well, I'm sitting there and I'm thinking, that's pretty rough. Well, I'm sitting there and in comes Jesse Jackson. Well, right about that time, in comes the guy in the tattered clothes. I'm thinking, this is going to be real interesting. He's been beat up by security. Now he's going to be beat up by the Secret Service. He starts going towards Jesse, and as he gets close to him, he said, Jesse, and the guy's going, 
Guys go, get out of here. You can't be in here. He goes, it's okay. I'm with Jesse. It's okay. He knows me. He's my friend. The guy's like, yeah, right. Right about that time, Jesse Jackson turns around and says, hey, calls him by name. Come on over here. Puts his arm around him. Looks at security and says, it's all right. He's with me. And they go walking in together to this restaurant. Now, I thought about that immediately, that when I stand before Almighty God on Judgment Day, you know what I deserve? Get thrown out in the street. Because of my sin and the things I've done, I deserve to be separated from Almighty God. But you know what's awesome? On Judgment Day, when I'm standing there deserving of of death, deserving of separation because of all the sin that I've committed in my lifetime, Jesus Christ is going to step forward and say, it's okay, let him in, he's with me. Guys, are you with Jesus? Because you're not getting in any other way. And he wants to pay the price. And that's what this verse says. It says there, to present you holy and blameless and above reproach in his sight. He's going to present you holy and blameless. Not your works, not your efforts, but what he did for you on the cross. Verse 23. If indeed you continue in faith and grounded and steadfast and are not moved away from the hope of the gospel which you heard, which was preached to every creature under heaven, of which I, Paul, became a minister. People struggle with these kinds of verses because it sounds like that we have to remain steadfast to go to heaven, which would sound like that there's some work involved to us getting there. That's not the case at all. Here's the thing, guys. Works don't save us. Works prove our salvation. Do you see the difference? We don't work so we can be saved. But if we've been saved, I don't know why this is happening, but if we've been saved, there will be good works. We will endure until the end. Guys, I, you know, I have a hard time when I'm sharing my faith with somebody or I'm talking to somebody, and they'll say, well, I walked an aisle and I prayed a prayer when I was six years old, but since then, and their life has had no fruit whatsoever. Now, I don't judge someone's salvation, not my job, nor do I want it. But if you prayed a prayer or walked an aisle or you were baptized when you were 12 or whatever, but your life never changed, you're not saved. Why? Because if Jesus Christ comes to live inside of you and you're a new creation in Him, things are going to change. They're going to change. You know what? If a dead corpse is laying on the ground and it gets up and starts walking around, that's a change. What is going on up here? All right. But the point is that we were once dead in our trespasses and sins, and now we're alive in Christ, and that's a radical change. Amen? Amen. No, it doesn't mean we're perfect. But it does, and it doesn't mean we're sinless, but we should sin less. Let's finish up. Verse 24. The last thing we're going to see is how are you and I to respond to the preeminence of Christ? I now rejoice in my sufferings for you. And fill up in my flesh what is lacking in the afflictions of Christ for the sake of His body, which is the church. Another verse that people struggle with, they're saying, so the cross of Christ was not enough, there was more suffering to come. What Saul is saying is not that he has to suffer to complete the work of the cross, but that he has been linked to our Savior in his suffering. Remember when Jesus, what did Jesus say to Saul when he was converted? Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me. Who is he persecuting? Church. Guys, when he persecutes the church, he's persecuting the Lord. When we're being persecuted, the Lord's being persecuted. We share in his sufferings. 
as we're living for Him. Blessed are you when they revile and persecute you and say all evil and manner against you for my name's sake. Paul was suffering for Christ's sake and for the sake of the Christians in Colossae. The word there, suffer, means one who is, is under calamity or evil or affliction or enduring great things. He was doing his part for the body of Christ. And he's not saying he was suffering to complete the work of the cross, but rather to be conformed to the work of the cross. Guys, we want to live the Christian life and we don't want any trials. Is that true or not? I don't want any trials. I want to serve you, Lord. I give you my entire life, but no discomfort. I give you my entire life, but I want to live in a big house and I want to make sure I have the right kind of car. And I want... You know what, though? God wants us just to give our... You know what? Can I tell you something? People are afraid if they give their lives completely to the Lord, He's going to give them something they don't want. Can I tell you something? When you give your life completely to the Lord, you're going to want what He wants. I hate to use myself as an example, but you know, I had a job where I was making a lot more money than I'm making now, but the point is, I, I can't believe I get to do this. This is the greatest, I would rather be here, your pastor, than anything in the world for any amount of money, any time, period. This is the greatest thing in the world. Now I pray to the Lord, whatever you want to do with my life, from the world's perspective, it may look stupid. But from my perspective, this is as good as, I can't believe I get to do this. Do you understand the difference? From God's perspective, He's given me an incredible blessing. He's not taken anything from me. He's only given to me. The blessing and the privilege of serving Him. You give your life to the Lord, He won't take away anything except that which needs to be taken away anyway. Amen? So let go. I promise we're going to finish. Verse 25. Of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from which God was given to me for you to fulfill the Word of God. You know what's interesting? In heaven, all things are going to be made new, but one thing's going to be in heaven the way that it was the last time it was on earth. Jesus Christ. We're going to see His scars. And we're going to see them because it's going to be a reminder of the price that He paid. And guys, the fact that we suffer for the cause of Christ is a good thing. Suffering draws us closer to the Lord as we get a taste of what happened to Him. When Abraham went up to sacrifice his son, he got a glimpse of what it would be like for our Savior to be sacrificed Himself. When you and I learn that suffering is not the end of the world. It's just the end of our flesh often. Amen? Suffering produces assurance in our hearts that we belong to the Lord. It says in 2 Timothy, Yea, and all who live godly lives will suffer persecution. I've never been persecuted. If you say that today, you're not walking with God. How's that? Well, I was going to share my faith, but I was afraid of persecution. Well, that works out real well. Don't share your faith. You won't be persecuted. Don't stand up for God when you're supposed to. You won't be persecuted. When the Holy Spirit's in your ear going, tell him. Everybody had that besides me. Say it. Right? You ever heard that before? Tell him. And you go, I, uh, well, I, I was, uh, um, music's on. I couldn't hear you. You know what I mean? <laughs> and we just walk away to these opportunities God gives us. You know why? We don't want to be persecuted. Let Paul be persecuted. Let the super apostles be persecuted. Not me. I'm just the nice neighbor. I want to be the nice neighbor. I like that. Nice neighbors, you know, friends don't let friends drink and drive. Friends don't let friends burn in hell. How about that? (laughs) Amen? We ought to be burdened. 
And you know what? When we reach out to them in love, persecution is going to come. You know what else? Suffering produces heavenly rewards as well. When we suffer for Him now. For our light affliction, which is for but a moment, works for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. 2 Corinthians 4. Our temporal suffering is nothing compared to the impact it can have on others for eternity. We're not going to finish the text. All right. There it is. But here's the thing, because I want to talk about this for a second. When Paul was in chains, was that a good thing or not? What's the answer? Well, ask a Roman guard. Was it a, ask a Roman guard who's in heaven. Is he glad Paul was in chains or what? Man, I'm glad you came to jail, man. That was good. Right? Why? Because I wouldn't have heard about Jesus if you weren't there. And too often that lost job or that, or that lost child or cancer or something that's going on in our lives we view as being a disaster, often it's an answer to prayer. We've been praying, Lord, do whatever you have to do so I can reach my family. And then you get cancer. I didn't mean that. But the point is that, I'll tell you what, wouldn't you much rather have everybody in your family saved and you have cancer than the other way around? Bring it on. Give me the temporal so I might see the eternal transformation. Amen? And it's through the suffering that God is glorified. It's through the difficulty that we get to see God work. In light of eternity, it's nothing compared to the fruit it can produce, the difficulties of this life. Last verse I want to read to you is in Acts 20. It just says, Paul had suffering behind him and persecution in front of him. And here's what he said. I love this. One of my favorite verses. None of these things move me, nor do I count my life dear to myself, so I may finish my race with joy and the ministry which I receive from the Lord Jesus to testify of the gospel of the grace of God. You know what? When you have an eternal perspective, nothing moves you. Bring it on. You can't threaten me with heaven. Okay. Shoot me. I'll be, in the, I'll be with the Lord. Go ahead. Right? I mean, when you have that eternal perspective, you know what Paul said? For me to go to heaven is far better. He wasn't holding on. He had no retirement plan whatsoever. None. He didn't, he's like, I got a 401k. It's in heaven. My 401k is on glory lane. That's where I'm going, right? His whole point was he had an eternal perspective. And when you have an eternal perspective, there's nothing the world can do to you that will cause you to be tore up. Is God in control? He's in control. He's faithful. He's God. All right. I just I put myself in the total mess for next week. But you know what? I'm reading the last three verses. Get your Bibles out. Where are you going? Last three verses. If I leave those verses, it'll be all messed up next week, and you, you'll be upset with me. It says in verse 25 through 28, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from, which God, from God, which has given to me for you to fulfill the word of God, and the mystery which has been hidden from ages and from generation, but now has been revealed to his saints. What was the mystery? The mystery is the cross of Christ and salvation being available both to Jew and Gentile alike. Verse 27, To them God willed to make known what are the riches of the glory of his mystery among you, the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. The mystery was... Then in the Old Testament days that Christ, there was going to be a Messiah for the Gentiles at all, and the fact that Christ can dwell within us. Christ in you, the hope of glory. Now think about this. The very same preeminent Christ we've been looking at all morning, that divinely unique, 
the source of redemption, the deliverer from darkness, the creator of all things, the head of the body, the image of the invisible God, the one who holds all things together, the one in whom all the fullness of the Godhead dwells, the one of whom has all knowledge and wisdom lives in you. Whoa. How good is that? And He never leave you guys. He loves you. He walks with you. He dwells within all who come humbly and broken before Him in the person of the Holy Spirit. Verse 28. Him we preach. That's a good... I like that. Him we preach. Who do we preach? Him. Jesus. Him we preach. Warning every man, teaching every man in all wisdom that we may present every man perfect in Christ Jesus. What is Paul's focus, passion, desire, and heart that everybody would come to know Christ? He had a one-track mind. I like that guy. I told you, everywhere he went, revival or a riot, and often both. You know, they, you know, they, they call a fanatic. A fanatic is somebody who you can't change his mind and he won't change the subject. That's Paul. He got a one-track mind. What's he talking about? Twenty Jesus. Tent makers getting saved in the Bible. Who do you think they were making tents with? Paul. And I love his heart and his desire. He's preaching one thing, him. His desire is to teach every man. I love the word there for teach. It's where we kind of where we get the word for equipping. We equip the saints for the work of the ministry. Guys, salvation is not the finish line, it's the starting point. It's where we start the race and we start running with God. And that's why my desire is that every one of you would continue to grow in your love for Him. He says there, I love these words. Last verse. To this end I also labor. The word labor is grow weary, tired, and exhausted. When was the last time you grew weary, tired, and exhausted serving God? We need to do it more. Amen? I set up three stacks of chairs, man. I'm on there you know what i mean we think we think i spent three minutes serving the lord this week i should that's going to be some brownie points in heaven i just know it you know when's the last time we grew weary serving god we grow weary doing other stuff don't we we get worn out doing other stuff but we don't want to serve god if it's too taxing he says there i also labor striving the greek word there for striving comes from the word agonize when's the last time you agonize in serving the lord Then it says, working which works in me mightily. Working is the word energia in Greek. Where we get the word energy. When was the last time you grew weary? You were agonizing. You used a great amount of energy. And the last word, here's the good news. The last word there is mightily. Here's where the source for all of it is. The word mightily there is dunamis. Where we get the word dynamite or dynamic. And you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. Dunamis. So we can labor, we can strive, we can agonize for Him because He will give us the strength to do us as He empowers us with the Holy Spirit. Isn't that good? Guys, if we would just let the Holy Spirit work through us, life would be so good. Guys, today's the day that God wants us to do business with Him. Let's pray. God wants us to do business with Him. Let's bow our heads. If you're here today and you know that you've had areas of your life where you've not allowed the Lord to be preeminent, make today the day that that changes. Say, Lord, I'm going to make you preeminent in every aspect of my life. The pastors will come on up here right now. If that's your desire to say, you know what, there's areas of my life where the Lord has not been preeminent, as soon as this next worship song starts to play, don't be ashamed of the Lord. Just come on up here and we'll pray with you, okay? We'll pray with you. 
God already knows if there's things in your life before Him. You're not hiding it from Him. He knows. And you know what? We love you. And God will bless and honor if you will make a stand and say, I want to get that right with you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you and praise you. May you be preeminent in every aspect of our lives, above all, in every struggle, everything that goes on, Lord, every difficulty, every trial, every sickness, every sinful act that we just continue to hold on to, Lord. May we this morning come before you and put it at the foot of the cross. Lord, seeking restoration before you. Also, if you're here today and you don't know the Lord, the day is the day of salvation. And the Lord loves you so much, He'd rather die than live without you. And you, I want you to come forward too and just say, you know what, I've never given my life to Jesus. And I don't want to be separated from Him. I've been trying to get there some other way, but I believe now that Jesus is the way, and I want to get right with Him today. If that's your heart and your desire, along with those who know that you need prayer to put those things before the Lord where you've been struggling, where you've made other things a priority in your life that don't belong there, as the worship team plays, I want you to come on up and we'll pray for you. Let's worship.